It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello and welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week for the past 85 weeks, COVID-19 takes the majority of the focus on this program as we work to give you factual data-based information about the current state and trajectory of the pandemic. That'll again be our focus today as we connect with the lead public health nurse for Benton and Franklin Counties, and later in our program, the chief medical officer at Cadillac Regional Medical Center, who will share his perspective on COVID, the flu, and what we can all do to safely enjoy ourselves as we enter the holiday season. First, we welcome Heather Hill, Communicable Disease Program Manager at the Benton Franklin Health District. Heather, as we take the air today, where do we stand with COVID in our area? Well, on November the 10th, things are actually continuing to improve in um, our data trends. The case rate continues to decline in both counties. But, uh, you know, the decline is actually starting to slow down a little bit, but it's still, you know, heading the right direction. And this is the first time that actually Franklin County case rate is lower than the Benton County case rate. So Franklin is at about 240 per 100,000, and um, Benton County is at 248, almost 249 per 100,000 over the last 14 days. So definitely continuing in the right direction. Our testing sites, the CDC West and the walk-up, one in Richland are also seeing uh, a decrease in their positivity rates. So CBC is showing about a 9% positivity rate, which is a decrease of about 2%. And then um, the same thing holds true with the Richland one. They have a positivity rate of 8.6. So again, seeing a decrease there as well. And then the admissions, the seven-day admissions uh, to our hospitals have also decreased by about 22% from the previous week. So, again, data-wise, we're heading in the right direction. But in order to keep it going that way, particularly heading into the upcoming holidays, people are going to have to be vigilant with their um, protective measures and also getting vaccinated. And that's an absolute important way for us to really continue in the right direction is the more people we can get vaccinated, the more likely our trends are going to continue to go the right direction. Maybe let's uh, focus on the vaccination side and and maybe in general relative to the holidays. Um, As we're speaking tonight, it's November 10th and the way it works with those vaccines, you have to, if you have a two regimen, it's, it's a little bit different. But are we at a case where people, you know, they're kind of bumping up against it if they want to be fully vaccinated, certainly before Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, not quite the case yet. So you, that, is that the reason for the extra making sure you're playing it safe? Yeah, we know that it takes a couple of weeks after your last vaccination for you to be considered fully vaccinated. So if you got Johnson & Johnson, the single dose, two weeks later, you're considered fully vaccinated. Moderna and Pfizer, you need the two-dose series plus the two weeks for you to be considered completely vaccinated. And so when we look at upcoming events, whether it's Thanksgiving or or Hanukkah, it's a little bit um, late to be fully vaccinated, of course, by that point in time. 
But we know that even getting at least one dose on board is going to improve your your immune system's ability to make sure you don't get as sick if you do catch COVID. Um, then in order to be actually fully vaccinated, by the time you reach uh, Christmas or Kwanzaa, New Year's Eve, all of those year-end events, it's going to be important to get started with those two-dose series by November 19. So if you start your first dose by November 19 and you get your second dose um, roughly December 10, that puts you in a good position to be vaccinated um, at the time of all these big year-end holidays. I was going to say, not to not to get too much into the, the data, but I know that's what we try and focus on to be provide that objectivity but i know with a holiday that just passed a halloween you know we're, we're 10 days as we're speaking today uh post halloween and it's interesting are, are we the case rates uh, seem to be they're they're stable if not going down so i guess are we starting to hopefully think that maybe we're not seeing that spike that has followed these these celebratory holidays you know, Halloween is, is certainly more of an outdoor event, and we know that outdoor events are much safer than in crowded indoor events. So I'd say, yeah, we're kind of past that period of time after Halloween. If it was going to happen that we would see a statistical blip up, we would have seen it by now. So really our, our focus now is looking ahead to the upcoming you know, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, New Year's, all those events where they tend to be more indoors than outdoors, and so the risk can certainly be increased. There's some really good data that shows even if one family member is vaccinated in the crowd, that significantly reduces the chance of hospitalization from COVID. And then the more people that you get vaccinated in your family group that's gathering, that even decreases it even more. And that's really where we're at with this vaccine. We know that we can't 100% prevent people from catching COVID, even if you're vaccinated, but we're really trying to stop people from becoming severely ill, needing hospitalization, and possibly dying from this because that is what these vaccines really, really are intended for and are doing so well. They're stopping severe illness and they're stopping people from dying as much as the people who were not vaccinated. Where are we with the children's vaccine? When we last spoke, I know I think it was just beginning to trickle in. And I know anecdotally uh, friends of mine who have been able to get their children vaccinated. Are, are we starting to see that? And, and, and what's, the, what's the advice going forward? You know, the advice going forward is get your kids vaccinated. We've seen a lot of excitement. A lot of families have just been really waiting and waiting and are so happy to get this vaccine on board with, for their kids. Um, both primary care providers and pediatricians are certainly places you need to reach out to. We'd like kids to go to their medical home where they typically go to get their medical care. That's where they're comfortable. We also know that especially during 2019 and 2020, we saw vaccine rates go down. They dropped quite severely during this pandemic where kids weren't getting their routine vaccinations. And so going into your provider for a COVID vaccine, it's also a great time to get your kids caught up with the other vaccines and and a flu vaccine because we're in flu season now. 
So that's a real good reason to reach out to your provider and see if they have the vaccine. Another place are local pharmacies. We've had good response from our local pharmacies. Many of them are carrying that vaccine for kids, and many of them even do carry childhood vaccines. So you can't get into your primary care provider, certainly reach out to your local pharmacy because they've been great partners in getting vaccines rolled out to our community. Is it okay, and is there any concern if I'm a parent? So you, I think you'd mentioned to me that if you got your flu shot as a child, you can also get your COVID vaccine at the same time. But you're saying you could even, if you need to get caught up on some of your regular vaccinations, you could do that too, so no issues there? Absolutely. It's perfectly safe for you to get um, more than just the COVID vaccine and get caught up with those other childhood vaccines because the last thing we need is to, you know, have an outbreak of pertussis because we do see that come and go in our community. And getting kids vaccinated is so important to stop those types of outbreaks as well. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, getting the latest on COVID-19 as it's the day before Veterans Day as we're on the air this evening. Back with more of our conversation with Heather right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation, visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, as we've talked about the vaccines, and I know it's a constant uh, reminder for folks uh, to make sure they're getting the vaccine, and now that the children are eligible, uh, I know that's uh, certainly another opportunity to increase these numbers. Is it a case what we're seeing, these numbers continue to slowly work their way up? I think the numbers I'm seeing today from percent total population vaccinated the state of Washington totally is like 61%. Benton County is roughly 50%. Franklin's at 44 and Walla Walla's at 55%. Um, is it just kind of where we're at, where we're going to just see these numbers hopefully continuing to inch up, albeit slowly? Right. It, you know, unfortunately, those numbers are inching up very, very slowly at about a you know, half a percent per week. But I I think if we, over time, just keep encouraging families and as family members are getting vaccinated or their friends' kids are getting vaccinated and people realize that, you know, kids really are handling this vaccine very, very well, there's certainly the opportunity to have those reactions that we talk about with kids, a sore arm, achiness, fever. But what we're really seeing is the vast majority of kids do very, very well with this vaccination. And I think parents just need to hear those stories from their friends to feel encouraged to go ahead and get your kids vaccinated. It really is the safest thing to do. And have you heard, I mean, have you gotten any calls in, into the office with folks? Uh, I, obviously, I'm, I'm sure they're asking questions, but they're say, hey, my daughter got it, my son got it, and they're doing well. We are hearing lots of anecdotal stories. Um, People are, you know, we personally have friends in the community. All of us here at the health district have friends with kids, and and we have people working here with kids, and they are getting their kids vaccinated and reporting back their experiences. And so far, kids seem to be doing very, very well uh, with this vaccine. 
I know from a practical standpoint, there's been some some mandates put in place, proclamations, if you will, and I know one of them is on larger event gatherings, and I know throughout the fall there there's some that have been put in place, but I think is it effective uh, on Monday, November 15th, that there are some requirements uh, as uh, pertaining to the proclamation by the state that uh, for larger events that you do have to show your verification? Right. A couple of things are happening on, on Monday, and it's the large event vaccine verification. And it, it, it will require that all attendees age 12 and older provide proof of vaccination or a recent negative um, coronavirus test within 72 hours of the event. And this is affecting events, large events, such as 10,000 people or more in an outdoor venue or 1,000 people or more in an indoor venue. And so this includes concerts and conventions and sporting events, fairs, theme parks, whether it's indoor or outdoors, there are certainly going to be those mandates uh, in effect. And you can be prepared to show your proof of vaccination in a variety of ways. There's that CDC vaccine card that we talk about all the time and tell people, keep it safe because you're going to need that, and here's the time you're going to need it when you go into an event. Originals, copies, photographs on your mobile device are also acceptable. So you could take a picture on your phone of your card and then show that, pull the picture up when you're going into the event because we really want people to keep that CDC card in a very safe place. And again, vaccination is considered valid two weeks after the last recorded dose. You know, and there are some other places you can go. You can go onto the myirmobile.com waverify.org. So there are other places you can go and actually look at your record to verify. And if you do go into my IR, you can actually print your your paper copy out of your vaccine proof, and that is acceptable as well. And I was going to say, uh, you bring up a good point with some of these thresholds of crowd size. Obviously, as we're getting into the winter season, it's the indoor sporting event. So, uh, you know, a high school basketball game or volleyball match or or a wrestling match or an indoor thing, anything over a thousand. So it's not going to be just if you go to a Seahawk game or a Cougar game or a hockey game in Seattle or a concert of more than 10,000 outdoors, uh, these indoor venues, uh, it's going to hit it's going to hit these area places, and not you know not to say how hard the ma- the enforcement's going to be, but that is the requirement. So we might be seeing that as we get into you know the winter sports seasons. Right. You know the option is decrease the number of people allowed in the venue or allow a thousand or more in with these requirements in place. But I think the important thing to remember at all times is masking because masks have been proven to reduce the spread of whether it be coronavirus or other respiratory infections from you know, moving about our community because it is flu season. We are starting to hear a few reports of influenza out there, not a lot, but we're also hearing reports of other respiratory illnesses that don't turn out to be COVID but have very similar symptoms. So there's this is the time of year to really be vigilant 
and protect yourself against COVID, influenza, and all those other respiratory viruses that start to swirl this time of year. In our remaining minutes that we have with you, where were we a year ago today with COVID? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, a year ago today, we were, you know, in a very grim situation. Once again, our numbers were very high. Um, data wasn't looking good for us. And, and we were in a, a very shut down situation. We didn't get to go out and do the things that we are now. Um, you know, our, our, our data is still not exactly where we want it to be. We're certainly better than we've been in the past, and I think we can look at the next, you know, month or so and how we conduct ourselves during the holidays that are up and coming to really, you know, keep trending in the right direction. Plan your holiday gatherings safely. Make sure that you are doing everything possible to protect those particularly vulnerable people. We know that this vaccine is in 100% protection, and our elderly may not respond as well to the vaccine and therefore are are very vulnerable to catching this even though they're vaccinated at some of these group gatherings. So I think it's real important when friends and family and loved ones are gathering, just really, really be cautious about what you're doing and what your family has planned to protect these these quite vulnerable groups of people. And on the optimistic side in the remaining minute or so, the fact that we are a year later, yes, we have the vaccine, great news. The other is the the mitigation standards that people follow. We know they work and they're making a difference. And as, But as we've touched on, we can go to games. We can gather uh, safely and go to do a different sporting events or concerts or things that are in larger group settings. So it's Maybe if we hit that right sweet spot where we know this is not going away 100%, but that we can at least endure it and we can live with it, but still not totally have to shut ourselves down. I think you're exactly right. We're in a position right now where we get to do things we did not get to do last year because we've put all of these protective measures in place and we have access to vaccine. And we just need to keep continuing to do what we're doing, get through these holiday seasons, because honestly, I don't think COVID virus is going to go away very quickly. It's going to be with us for quite some time to come. And I'm not talking just weeks and months. I think COVID um, is going to be with us for quite a while to come. And we'll need to continue to do our protective measures for many, many, many more months. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Appreciate your time as always. We'll be back with the second half of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Our region continues to move in the right direction in terms of the incidence of COVID, and that includes the number of patients who need to be hospitalized with the dangerous virus. At Cadillac Regional Medical Center just a few short months ago, the number of patients sick enough to be in the hospital numbered in the mid-80s. 
Thankfully, in the last few weeks, the numbers have dipped substantially into the 20s and low 30s. And here was more with us is Dr. Kevin Pieper, who is the chief medical officer at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And Dr. Pieper, maybe first of all, just give us uh, what is that? Is it much, uh, much less pressure, shall we say, COVID-related at Catholic right now? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, 80 to 90 patients represents, you know, 35% or so of the number of beds we staff, uh, which is a huge number. Uh, getting that number down to 10%, while still significant and, and occupying a lot more beds than we want them to be, uh, it's much more manageable and allows us to take care of all the other patients that need beds for various illnesses. What do we attribute the, I guess you'd say, increasingly favorable numbers of COVID patients at Catholic? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think it's multifactorial. You know, we're seeing more and more of the community get vaccinated. Uh, we've seen more and more of the community get natural immunity through getting infected. Uh, so that the risk is naturally decreasing. Um, but the other phenomenon we've seen with some of these variants is um, when they've uh, occurred in other parts of the world is they sort of burn out after a few months. Um, and that may be what we're seeing with Delta also is that it's just sort of fading away. Um, it's not fading away completely, and that, that down ramp is, is a gentle slope. Um, it's going to take a while, but uh, it could be kind of a combination of all three of those things. And I was reading statewide, I know there's concern of this word plateauing, and I've become way too familiar with reading graphs in the last uh, 18 to 20 months. But plateauing, meaning the, the cases may be coming down, but if they flatten, which is good, they may be, are they flattening at too high a level? Or are we facing that here in the Tri-Cities? And what are you hearing statewide? Yeah, you know, I think it's still, the number's still higher than we want to see. Um, it, it's still a lot of people who are needlessly getting infected uh, in the Tri-Cities, and it's similar across the state right now. Um, uh, when the Washington State Hospital Association holds their press conference, they commented that we're plateauing at a, a bed occupancy rate for COVID across the state higher than we saw with the previous uh, surge. So um, it's still a critical number, uh, and we can't let down our guard and let that number come back up again because there's very little wiggle room uh, as far as beds across the state right now. If you would take a minute from your your chief medical officer standpoint and your stamp, your perspective as a physician of for our listeners, explain what would re- what would result in someone coming in, say, to the emergency room with COVID what would require them to be hospitalized? Because you touched on these numbers that have gone down substantially, but what what is it that, that would, the symptoms or would require someone to, to need to be hospitalized versus just, hey, they contracted COVID, you can stay home and recover? Yeah, so we, we know that um, the, one of the main symptoms of the virus are respiratory symptoms, so cough, shortness of breath, uh, and uh, what we see in patients who have uh, severe respiratory symptoms is they, is they have trouble keeping their oxygen saturation up. So some of that can be managed at home. If, if it just requires simple supplemental oxygen, uh, a patient can be cared for at home. Uh, we have a way of setting people up with their own um, 
uh, oxygen saturation monitors or pulse ox monitors and routine follow-up with nursing to make sure they're doing okay so they can recover at home. Um, But those that need more care than that um, and need higher levels of oxygen or their oxygen levels are low enough that they're unable to sustain it breathing on their own, even with supplemental oxygen, they have to be put on a ventilator. Um, uh, Those patients need to be admitted, obviously. Um, And then there's also, we see uh, other symptoms or other problems with COVID, whether it be, you know, kidney problems or uh, other things that require uh, IV fluids or dialysis or uh, other management issues that, that make it difficult to take care of the patient at home. And as we're seeing the hospitalized numbers come down, I know one of the largest areas of concern of the sickest of the sick, and which is those that require intensive care unit uh, care. Are we seeing those numbers coming down, hopefully, too, that the proportionately the number of ICU patients is also not as high as it was, say, six, eight weeks ago? Yeah, and actually, I think that number, that census has dropped even more dramatically. So are we seeing far uh, less severely ill patients um, uh, that need ICU care right now, which is great. And one thing that I think it's important to remind our listeners that Catholic is part of the Providence system, which is quite a large system. I think there are over 50 hospitals, and certainly around the Northwest, that means places like Sacred Heart in Spokane and St. Mary in Walla Walla and Swedish in Seattle and Everett and Olympia. So there's a lot of horsepower being brought to bear. I know that Cadillac has on. Give our listeners a little flavor of what that means uh, for you and your role as a chief medical officer as you're able to collaborate with colleagues around your system, whether it's here in the Northwest or even wherever Providence uh, has uh, care. Yeah, so it's meant uh, a lot of support, uh, which has been great. We didn't have to go through this in isolation. Uh, As many people are aware, the first diagnosed cases in the United States were up in Everett uh, in our Providence Hospital. Uh, So we were able to learn a lot from them. And right after those cases happened back, back in early 2020, we started having a uh, system command center. So representatives from all 52 hospitals every, uh, I think we were doing every day initially, but uh, two or three times a week through most of it, we would um, call in, get the latest and greatest on treatment um, as far as numbers uh, of cases and number of admissions. Uh, And because we have through Providence a big, analytics department, we were able to take a look at all that data and start to make some predictions as to who was peaking, who wasn't, um, who had ways to go, where, get an early prediction of where our hotspots were going to be, uh, and they turned out to be pretty accurate. Uh, You combine that with the buying power of a large organization, uh, and so looking back at last year when just personal protective equipment like masks and gowns were difficult to come by, Uh, we had a lot more um, uh, power in the market to be able to buy things to keep our caregivers safe uh, and take care of these patients. Uh, It also allowed us to share things amongst the various organizations or or hospitals within our organization. So, for instance, if we were experiencing a surge and needed more testing supplies or PPE and let's say Northern California wasn't seeing those peaks, they could send us additional equipment. 
uh, and testing supplies to help us through that. And then likewise, if our numbers improve, but some other area of the system was uh, running out of resources, we could allocate some of our uh, things to them. So that's one of those terms that we've all learned. Supply chain has been critically important, right? Uh, Very important, just like every other industry in the world right now that's experiencing supply chain issues. We were we were sort of one of the first. Um, a lot of our PPE and um, uh, testing reagents are sourced globally, uh, and when those supply chains and, and uh, shipping routes shut down, uh, it affected us first. And now we're seeing it in many, many other areas now. You touched on the the analytics, and that really, to me, brings up a very good point because, as you touched on, throughout this pandemic, it's affected different regions at different times as far as the severity of the virus and its impacts on the healthcare system. I know we are hopefully on the downside, but I know one area, where within the provident system at this point are we continuing to see pressures? Is the Spokane area due to its proximity to, to Idaho? Is that still being stressed pretty heavily? Uh, it is, although it's improved also. Um, we have a hospital in Lubbock, Texas, our covenant uh, branch of our health system. They were pushed really, really hard uh, about the same time we were peaking. Uh, I think they've come down uh, some as well. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who is who's peaking right now. I think we're seeing, since we're majority West Coast, uh, we're all seeing, starting to see declines right now. Because it's interesting to, that you say that because I was just, I think, watching nationally uh, some of the news relative to COVID, and I think I was reading the state of Colorado is starting to see a surge. So it kind of illustrates that point that this it's not a universal impact, that it that it comes and goes, ebbs and flows, and I know for a lot of it, it has to do with the level of vaccination rates, and we probably have seen that here in the state of Washington, just in, you know, varies by county. Yeah, and and it's a good reminder that science isn't always predictable. Um, uh, it we, we follow it and we learn from it, but it's, it's science is not an absolute. It's a, it's a constant evolution of knowledge that we've gained. And there's a lot of things we still don't understand about the coronavirus. And, and seeing these hotspots uh, pop up and fade away is just one of those examples of where we haven't figured out quite how to predict that yet. Visiting with Dr. Kevin Pieper, the Chief Medical Officer at Catholic Regional Medical Center. When we come back, we're going to actually ask a few non-COVID-related questions. Where is Catholic... What is Catholic doing? Where is Catholic going as as we start to come out of the pandemic uh, to plan for the future in healthcare in our community? We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. We are visiting with Dr. Kevin Pieper, the Chief Medical Officer at Cadillac Regional Medical Center, and he's been graciously giving us some of his time to give some perspective on where COVID is with Cadillac. And as we come on the air tonight and the numbers continue to look favorable in our community, uh, I wanted to have Dr. Pieper, if he could, touch a little bit on some of the things non-COVID that are happening at Cadillac. I know regardless of, of the stress that the pandemic has placed on the occupancy, the number of patients Cadillac can handle, Dr. Pieper, I know that's a continual challenge. So coming out, uh, is that one of the priorities of, 
of of how we can we as Catholic can manage the patient loads that want to use us because it's not just patients here in the Tri Cities, but those within the region of Benton and Franklin counties and our region of Eastern Oregon and Washington. Yeah, we still need to think about how we take care of um, all of the other acute illnesses that need hospital beds in light of knowing we'll probably have some level of uh, beds always taken up by COVID, or at least for the foreseeable future. And you're right, we not only serve the Tri-Cities, but we are also a referral center for many of the uh, smaller hospitals in northeastern Oregon and southeastern Washington. So we continue to focus on how do we uh, staff the beds that we have licensed for, uh, and that's a continual process of trying to bring in qualified uh, individuals, uh, as well as looking at what services do we need to either start or improve upon to meet the needs of our community. And I was going to say, I know one issue uh, that folks may not necessarily be familiar with, and that's the ability to take care of what are called trauma patients, so car accidents, people that get injured uh, severely and and need that trauma-type care. I know there's been an effort for for quite a long time, but I know it's a renewed effort at Catholic to try and get elevated to a higher level of trauma service. What does that mean to our listeners and, and the patients that potentially could need it here in our community? Yeah, so there's different levels of trauma programs uh, across the country, and so Level one is the highest level, and and we have one level one trauma center in Washington State, and that's Harborview over in Seattle. Uh, Level two is the next level, uh, and uh, we have a few across the state. So our closest one is Sacred Heart in Spokane. Um, They're able to take care of uh, almost uh, everything that uh, level one, like Harborview, could do, except for the the highly specialized uh, cases. Um, and then there's level three, which is what we are, uh, which is uh, where a lot of community-type hospitals uh, sit. We're able to do um, some basic trauma, a lot of stabilize and transfer to higher-level facilities. Uh, we sit in what's called a trauma desert in that there is not a level two trauma uh, center within a reasonable distance from us. And so we felt it to be a high priority to develop into a level two trauma center so we could serve this large geographic area in a better way. Um, we've done a lot of work on that. Uh, the, the beginning of that work was developing a trauma surgery program. Uh, so we've brought in trauma surgeons uh, who have uh, taken residencies and fellowships that Uh, allow them to specialize in taking these critical care surgical patients. Um, And um, that's been in place uh, for about a year now. Uh, The other main area, there are two main areas. One is orthopedics, and we have a very strong orthopedics program uh, to be able to take care of uh, fractures and and the other things you see with trauma. Uh, And then neurosurgery, which... uh, we have a, a very strong program, but a small program, not enough to feel like we could take the additional volume of going to a level two trauma center. Uh, so we've added to that this year, and that puts us in position that we'll start to be able to offer uh, or, or apply for level two status. Uh, and so, yeah, you can't just proclaim yourself a level two trauma program. You have to apply for the status. And generally, that's applied to through the state of Washington and through the Department of Health. 
Well, our community should know that uh, take comfort in that the the, the leaders are, are continuing to evolve and plan for to be able to allow more and more services uh, to be able to have right here in our community. Dr. Kevin Pieper, the Chief Medical Officer at Catholic Regional Medical Center, thanks so much for taking your time today, and thank you for listening as well. We'll talk again next Wednesday night. Good night. 